This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 10th of November 2021. We're getting towards the end of the year. We are, Norman, and to celebrate this, I want you to step inside this star-spangled tent that I have here and gaze, if you will, into the crystal ball I hold in my hand because I want you to tell me what 2022 is going to be like. And if I may, let us start on the 1st of January. Okay. 1st of January, strikes midnight, fireworks go off around the nation. So I think that what happens at uh, the stroke of midnight is that we've got the majority of Australia, which is population-wise, immunised, um, at least over 12, immunised to 90% or more. So that's New South Wales, Victoria, ACT, probably Tasmania. Queensland getting close if it's not already there. West Australia probably still a month away from that. So that's really amazing. South Australia? NT? South Australia. NT, I'm not so sure when they would be. I think NT is probably going to be around about the same as, as Western Australia. So what happens in January or so, we're still in summer. People are still outdoors. The windows are open. So this is, a, this is an environment that favours us over the virus. The immunisation level favours us over the virus. So we could see quite low numbers. We'd, we will have had quite a lot of people coming back to Australia for Christmas, at least to New South Wales and Victoria, maybe Queensland by then and some other states as well. So we will have had new virus coming in, even though people have been properly tested and vaccinated. Nonetheless, we're under control. But it depends on how evenly spread that 90% is. If we still haven't immunised First Nations communities that well, they're going to be extremely vulnerable with outbreaks. Will we know about those outbreaks? What sort of impact will they have? A lot of it will require transparency. What about um, areas where we haven't had high immunisation rates, for example, adolescents, teenagers, young people in some of the suburbs of our big cities, uh, groups which aren't speaking English as a first language? So you could still see significant outbreaks amongst the unvaccinated. And then the other thing we're going to see in the first quarter is a lot of people becoming eligible for their third doses. And then perhaps, probably, uh, it sounds like there's hinting that early next year, kids aged 5 to 11 will become eligible for vaccination. And that's an important element here in terms of total control. So yes, they announced uh, the other day, two two days ago, that it's unlikely that uh, we'll get the vaccine this year. It's going to be early next year. I think the main reason for that, I did a 7.30 story on Monday night about it, is that um, it looks as though the Atagi wants to wait until large numbers of children have been immunised in the United States so that we're just sure about the rates, particularly of myocarditis, which are likely to actually be much lower than in older children, 12 to 15-year-olds or 17-year-olds. But they just want to be sure about that so that when parents give this, they're sure they really do understand the safety and GPs understand it as well. But when we do start immunising 5 to 12, 5 to 11-year-olds, when school goes back, School's going to be less fraught than it is at the moment. So we've just had the announcement of Victoria's trial of rapid antigen testing in schools. That's going to make a big difference. And that was the recommendation of the Doherty Burnett announcement on Monday as well. But the second thing that happens is when you get kids immunised, you're going to have a far higher proportion of Australians immunised. So we could actually drive the virus down to very low levels in Australia as a result of immunising 5 to 11-year-olds. So we could be in a much better position than we ever imagined we could. We are going to be 
amongst the highest immunised nations in the world. The thing that we have to do in the first quarter of next year is realise we're still vulnerable. So the beginning half of this year, we ha- we weren't vaccinated yet. We were starting to become vaccinated, but the virus really was at very low levels. We were feeling pretty good. We'd gotten through 2020, that horrible year. And then winter came and we saw these outbreaks kick off. What's next winter going to look like? Well, remember, winter came along with Delta. So we had a more contagious virus hitting us at the same time at winter. And in the Northern Hemisphere, Delta hit in summer and it didn't help them much either. So public health and social measures, distancing, masks, those sorts of measures are still going to be important from time to time. So the thing that the crystal ball cannot predict is what the next variant will be, where it will come from, and what its features are. Will it be vaccine resistant? Will it be even more contagious with Delta? Is Delta so muscular that it's just, to use Eddie Holmes' words in our podcast a few weeks ago, in a shootout on the OK Corral, Delta's always going to win? He didn't think so. He thinks there is going to be a Delta variant that will come along, but we'll be pretty well covered for it with the current vaccines, if not perfectly. And then the other thing that's coming online that we're seeing coming out from multiple different drug companies are really effective treatments that stop people from getting as seriously ill from COVID as they have up until now. Yes. Can we come back to that? Because I think you asked the question about the third doses, and that's really important. Yes. What's going to happen in the first quarter of next year is that the people, this huge surge of people who've been immunised since July, August, you know, through July, August of this year, are going to start to need boosters. And if the booster uptake is low, 18 plus, then you're going to see a lot of breakthrough infections. And in the elderly, you're going to see more people entering hospital. So you could see a situation, and that's just as we're coming into winter. So you could see a situation that's analogous to Israel, although it's in our winter, and therefore potentially worse, where we see quite a bad surge due to lack of booster uptake. And that's probably when an organisation like Atagi is going to say it's not optional anymore. Well, it's, not, it's always optional. You don't, we're not going to force you to have it. But it is part of the primary schedule. If you want to consider yourself fully immunised, you've got to get the third dose. They're not saying that yet, but I think they're going to have to say it next year because you will, round about February, March of next year, have a very large number of Australians starting to become vulnerable to infection and a subset of those vulnerable to severe disease because that, that protection is wearing off. And that's particularly in the elderly, people with obesity, people with comorbidities such as heart disease, lung disease, and so on. Those people are just going to become very vulnerable. And we could see our hospitals really under threat at that point. Right. So the people who are getting third doses, most of them wouldn't get severe disease anyway because they're already well protected by those first two doses. But the risk of them getting a breakthrough infection that they could then pass on to someone else is where the concern is in terms of vulnerable people, especially. Yes, but the protection against severe disease does wane as well. It just wanes much faster in older people. If you're younger, it almost certainly lasts a lot longer. But if you're over 70 or 80 years old, it wanes much faster and you really do need that third dose in there for those people. And yes, everybody else to keep the level of immunisation down. Now, the question will be, we don't know the answer to that yet, is do we need boosters in 12 to 15 year olds? And will we need boosters in five? We need a third dose in five to 11 year olds. And we just don't know the answer to those questions yet. Okay, so talk to me about treatments. Well, the treatments will help enormously. If they perform the way the clinical trials suggest they do, they will reduce deaths and hospitalizations 
by the same sort of amount as being freshly immunised. It's really quite dramatic, 89% reduction in hospitalisations. That's in the clinical trial, not in the real world yet. No deaths in the active group, 10 deaths in the, uh, in the placebo group. This is the Pfizer trial. And the previous one, Merck, showing similar performance. So th- that's going to be amazing. And the first one of those treatments is already been, has already been ordered by the federal government. But the problem there is they've got to be used early. Um, they've got to be used when you've got mild to moderate disease to prevent you going further. But you could choose people that I just, like just I just said, who are elderly, who are frail, who've got other problems, and that they get them to, or who are immunocompromised. And then the other exciting thing are the antibody treatments, and that's for the immunocompromised. And immunocompromised people, by the way, are where new variants can come from because they produce so much virus, and their antibody response is is inadequate and the the virus tends to become resistant to those antibodies. And so those antibody treatments, AstraZeneca, they've got a double antibody, looks as if it might last a year and protect the immunocompromised. So it's a preventive means. Regeneron saying they're getting the same effect with theirs. So we're entering a very much more secure environment next year. Expensive, these drugs will not be cheap. So a lot of the existing treatments, the antibody treatments you mentioned, they're given via an infusion, like via a needle. Some of the treatments that are coming online are given via a pill, but how do you know who needs them? When do you actually give them to someone? That'll be defined by the clinical trials and how the TGA and what the TGA approves them to use, uh, what the, the use that the TGA approves. And the use that the TGA approves will be what the manufacturer applies for, which will be largely due to the clinical trial. And so it's really uh, vulnerable people who are moderately ill early on and you get in quickly and there will be criteria that are used. Now, that's not unusual in drug prescribing in Australia. Um, You're only supposed to prescribe a statin, a cholesterol-lowering drug, to somebody who's at high risk of a heart attack in the next five or ten years. There are some drugs which require an authority from the government to to prescribe because there are such strict criteria, and there'll be criteria with these as well. Okay, so the first two-thirds of the year are sounding pretty good. What about coming to the end of next year, Norman, nearly three years into the pandemic, this time next year, what's next Christmas going to look like? I think that what, what it starts to look like is that that's about the time where we're moving out of it being a pandemic to being a seasonal outbreak that we can control well with drugs and vaccines. But what we will move into potentially is an influenza type situation where we have seasons which are pretty good for covid because we are well immunised and the variants haven't emerged. We'll have annual combined flu COVID vaccines, which are designed for the variants that are circulating. But we could have pandemic years with COVID like we have pandemic years with influenza. Now, Eddie Holmes was a bit sceptical about that because he's saying that what would have to happen with that is maybe a new escape from an animal into the human population, because that's what happens with influenza. Whereas the new variants with COVID-19 have not come from animals, they've come from human populations. So have we immunised the developing world, low-income countries, so that there's not very much virus circulating? In which case, we might be able to prevent COVID ever becoming a pandemic again. Well, Norman, you haven't painted exactly a rosy picture, but it's definitely not as dark as the previous two years have been. Thanks again for joining me in my carnival tent with my crystal ball. And um, we'll just have to wait and see if your predictions come true. Yeah, well, being a dour Scot, I'm pretty optimistic. (laughs) Well, if you're optimistic, then that's probably pretty good for this um, 
rose-coloured glasses-wearing person over here. Well, lovely audience, if you have thoughts, comments, questions about Norman's predictions or anything else, you can always talk to us at abc.net.au slash coronacast. And we'll see you tomorrow, pandemic willing. (laughs) See you then.